0: Good morning, fine people of Destiny Church. Good to see y'all. How hey, y'all liking this weather? Anyone like it? Yeah, it's nice, right? I heard someone the other day say, it's so cold out, I saw an Amish man buying an electric blanket. <laughs> I remember when I was um, a teenager, one that we used to say often is, It's so cold out that I saw a politician with his hands in his own pocket. (laughs) How many of y'all know that that's cold right there? (laughs) Maybe y'all have heard that one before, some variation of it. We'll we'll say it that way. (laughs) But I don't know about you guys, but I love the change in seasons. You guys love it? I really do because for me, the change in seasons, it reminds me that not everything remains the same. Like not in our country, not in our marriages, not in our jobs, not with our children, just to name but a few, but there is a time and a season for everything. But the hope that I pull from those changes in seasons is that God desires to do a work in us during those times, a transformative work where he brings about an ever-increasing glory within us. In other words, these change of seasons, oftentimes they may feel like they're coming up short of what you had hoped for, what you had prayed for. But here's the thing about seasons. Seasons change. And so if you're in a season right now and you're like, man, I don't like this season, the good news is seasons change. And with the changing of seasons, guess what? Something new comes. And I'm not just talking about something brand new per se, but a new perspective and a new joy and a new approach. See, I think that many times we think that change the change that God wants to do in our life, it's like a change in our circumstances. And by the way, sometimes he does, right? But i found that oftentimes God wants to change our approach and change our perspective. And For example, maybe this uh, next season of your life isn't that God's wanting you to get a new job, but rather he wants you to approach your current job in a new way or to approach your marriage in a new way. Not by getting a different spouse, but by loving your current one differently than you have in the past. Now I'm saying this because I think that oftentimes we sense this change that God's wanting to do in our life and we think that the change is something that God wants to do externally. But I found that oftentimes it's something that God is wanting to do internally. It's a change in heart, not just circumstance. And if our current series, All In, which by the way is a study in the book of Acts, for those of you that are just joining us, if it's taught us anything, it's that we can face any circumstance whenever our heart is whole and complete. But oftentimes we get the wrong idea that if our circumstance would just change, then that our heart would be whole and complete. But can I just tell you that's a fallacy? Wholeness of heart and completion in Christ is this, that we know Jesus, that we truly know him. And listen what the scripture has to say here in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, by this we can be sure that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Friends, I want you to catch this today because this is really the heart of today's message. And there are two words that summarize Jesus' message. Those words are come and go. Jesus said in Matthew chapter eleven and verse twenty-eight, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah fifty-five and verse one, "Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come." Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Four times the scriptures here, it emphasizes for those who are thirsty and hungry to come. And of course, the the emptiness, the, the longing and the thirsting that the scripture speaks of, it isn't referencing a lack of food in the pantry, but of a heart and a spirit that is empty. See, Jesus' message was this, to those who are hurting, to those who are broken, to those who are lost, to those who may be confused or frustrated or the guilty and to the shamed, Jesus says, to come. And he says, come to me, watch this, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, I share this because you need to know this, you might want to write this down, Jesus' gives us an invitation that's all-inclusive. It doesn't matter if you're a male or female. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter about who you know or don't know. It's an invitation that, by the way, doesn't matter what mistakes you've made or how many times you have made them. He says to come. And you see, this is the beauty of the good news, that anyone can come and receive God's grace and his forgiveness. Anyone who would say yes to Jesus' invitation, he then begins to do this work in our lives in which he transforms us from the inside out. But to those who have received his life-transforming power, Those that have had their burdens removed and who have been healed and who have been made whole. The verb changes from come to go. Jesus said in Luke chapter 7 and verse 50, your faith has saved you, now go. See, God is in the business of telling people to go. He told Noah to go and to build an ark. He told Abraham to go to another country, which eventually would become his homeland. He told Moses to go back to Egypt and to lead his people out of slavery. He told Jacob to go. He told Gideon to go. He told Joshua to go. He told David to go. He told Paul to go. You see, Jesus' message is a going message. God has called his people to be a part of a church that is on the move. Never are we to settle into a place of comfort, but rather God has called you and I to be agents of change. We're called to be bright shining lights in a dark and lost world. Now before we dive into Acts chapter 8 today, let me just throw out this very important truth. God has invited all of us to an eternal celebration to be part of the heavenly encore declaring and enjoying God's presence and his goodness throughout all of eternity. I mean, this thing's going to be the banquet to end all banquets. And the good news is that you and I are invited. As a matter of fact, if no one's ever told you about this invitation or you've just not responded to it yet, you're going to have that opportunity to respond to it this morning. And I hope and I pray that you would consider this invitation because this eternal celebration that we're talking about here, better known as heaven, is an invitation that requires your acceptance while you're still alive. And here's why. Heaven doesn't accept walk-ins once you die. You must RSVP. Are y'all with me this morning? Now, for one reason or another, people reject God's invitation. Jesus tells a story that speaks to this very thing. It's found in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 23. Let me read it to you. Jesus said, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent, notice that word, his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned to his, told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets, into the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone that you can so that my house may be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Now, I think that you're probably catching on to the symbolism that Jesus is using here. But the man who is hosting this banquet is God. But catch this. The servants in the story are you and me. Remember, he sent his servants to go out and to get as many guests as he could get to come. You see, church, our job description as a servant of God is to bring as many guests as we can. Come on, y'all with me this morning. The generous man in the story he told those who were not in his house, which were his guests, he told them to come. He invites them into his house, but to his servants, those who are already in his house, he says to go. And watch this, guys. This is still the same directive that God has given you and I today. To go. To go tell people about God's goodness and his grace. And to tell them why they need God's goodness and his grace are you with me and I want you to even just notice the urgency and the language that Jesus uses in telling the story it says that he sends his servants and he tells them to invite everyone to come. and twice he tells his servants to go once it even says go quickly you see I'm noticing here a tone of urgency in his language I once heard someone say, the good news is only good news if it gets to people in time. And the only way that it's going to get to them in time is if someone, if you and I, go. And by the way, when I say go... I'm not just talking about going in the sense of, oh, let's go on this big mission trip and let's go to India or Africa to go in that sense. I mean, thank God for those who are willing uh, to go to those unreached places and we need to help send those that are willing to go. Are you with me? But friends, there are people here in our city, people that live in your street, people that you work with, people that you will encounter at the marketplace and at the gym and at your favorite restaurant that know nothing of the gospel. And God is telling us to go, to go tell them about the good news and pass along God's invitation. Actually, a better way of saying it is this, as you go, Which is actually how Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. As you go about your day. As you take your kids to school. As you go to work. As you go to the gym. As you go out to eat. As you go on vacation. As you go to your Thanksgiving dinner with your family who probably doesn't know Jesus and needs to know Jesus. As you go, come on proclaim this message what's that mean that means that we need to be sowing the seeds of the gospel at every opportunity that we have you know why ecclesiastes 11 solomon wrote and said the reason for us to do this it says to sow seeds at all times because you never know when it's going to be profitable that seed that you have sown You never know when someone is going to be ripe for the harvest. You never know whether you're the person that God sent across their path. And today, they need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You never know whenever you make a social media post about God, and all of a sudden, it causes that person to think of God. Hey, you never know whenever you're waiting at a light and someone's waiting behind you and they notice your Destiny Church sticker on your window and they thought, huh, let me just Google and see what this church thing here's all about. I remember my grandma went to church and and it's already been on their mind and they open up the website and listen to a message and it transforms their life. I think I've shared this with you guys before, but um, about eight years ago, there was a guy who found our podcast and he started listening to it. And the guy reached out to me through email. And um, as things progressed, he got discipled through the podcast. And guess what? Today, the guy is in ministry as a result. And watch this. I've never even met the guy in person. Isn't that crazy? Guys, I'm talking about us going out into the highways, into the byways, like the story said, and invite everyone that we can and use everything that God has given us. And look, can I tell you something? God has given you something. I shared it last week. Let me me do it again. Ready? Come on. Show me that smile. Oh, I like it. If that's all you got, then give what you got. If it's, I like your outfit, then give what you got. If you say, have a nice day, that's something. That's something for God to work with. Are, Are you hearing me this morning? because you never know what's going to come from planting those seeds of kindness and sowing what's the worst thing that they could say no reject it they're going to reject you you're going to be rejected at some can i just tell you you're going to be rejected at some point i mean look if we've read anything from the book of acts we know that there's just going to be rejection that's going to come our way but that's okay what about those that say yes i was one who said yes you were one who said yes whenever someone shared the gospel with you now here's what I want to do I want to highlight just a a few thoughts this morning in regarding this sending and the going that God has called us to and I pray that it stirs you and that it equips you to know that you can make a difference in someone's life And let me just start with this truth right here. Grab a hold of this, guys. I'm going to speak some truth to you this morning. Listen, God will not call you to do something he has not equipped you for. I believe someone needs to hear that, by the way. Someone who you think, well, surely not me, Lord. I, I don't Possess the qualifications that's needed to be able to accomplish what you're asking. But God wants you to know that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by His Spirit that you can indeed do all the things that He's called you to do. Church, as believers, at some point, we have got to believe all of God's Word. It's the same God that said that He loves you and accepts you that also says, go. You've been only to trust that all things are possible to him who believes. And you've only but to believe that all things can be done through Christ who gives you the strength. See, here's what's important to understand. If you're looking at what God has called you to in the natural, you're always going to bow down to fear. Are you hearing me? Because what God has called us to will always be bigger than us. And you know, can I just say, I think that God does it that way so that we will stay dependent upon him. That's why we can't approach things from the natural, but from the supernatural. Because any true call from God will require our dependence upon him. When we put our dependence upon him, which by the way is what we call faith, then God moves on our behalf and he does what we could never do in our own ability. But doing the things that God has called us to does require faith. That's why we say that sharing your faith is a matter of faith. It's trusting that God has equipped you for what he's called you to. It's us trusting God in the face of whatever seeming impossible uh, obstacle that we face, knowing that he's with us and that he will empower us with everything that we need to do in order to accomplish the task. And fellow Christians, can I just tell you that nothing is greater on the heart of God than people coming to know Christ by surrendering their lives to his lordship. And watch this, if that's God's greatest desire, then any desire that we have that's greater needs to be demoted. Are you with me? Now, I want us to turn on our Bibles to Acts chapter 8. I love going through the book of Acts chapter by chapter. Isn't this so good, so enriching? Acts chapter 8. Let's start in verse 4 here where we're introduced to a man named Philip. And much of what we're going to talk about today is centered on Philip, so let's just read a little bit about him. So Acts chapter 8, we're going to read maybe the first four verses, starting with verse four. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Oh, man, I, sorry, I got to just stop on that for a moment. Look at that. Now, those who were scattered, why were they being scattered? They were being persecuted. So they're running for their life, Right? But what were they doing while they were scattered? They went about preaching the word. So they didn't allow the persecution that was coming against them to cause them to be silenced. But as they went, hello, I think we just read that somewhere, they continued to preach the word. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to, what if God is causing, I'm sorry, what if God is causing your circumstance to cause you to get out of the boat because that's at the place that he wants to do his greatest work in your life? What if you getting fired wasn't because of some co-workers conspiring against you, but God said, I told you get out of that job a long time ago? I'm just saying, I don't know, that's for somebody, i throw that out there, but. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city did you know that you can change a city let me tell you what I'm staking my life on it that we're going to change this city that's the reason I moved to this city 10 and a half years ago come on so everyone here thank you clapping two people excellent this is great thank you Jesus I'm just kidding I know but watch this everyone here was all seeing God do amazing things through Philip and as a result the Bible says that tons of people were set free, and a lot of people come to know Christ. But then a man named Simon, who uh, some the translations of the Bible will call him a magician. Um, probably more appropriate is he was a sorcerer. Um, he This guy believed. like he, he puts his faith in Christ, and he even gets baptized. And after seeing the miraculous works that Philip did, he offered the apostles money so that he too could have the same power that they had. Now, if you remember what I said at the beginning of my message, Jesus gave the invitation to come, right? Come and buy, but buy without money and without cost. See, Simon found it hard to believe that this power could come any other way but by paying for it. And so after making this offer to the disciples, they rebuked him, and they told him to to repent of his wickedness because Simon wanted this power, so that he himself could benefit from it. Which causes me to ask, in what ways do we think that we can earn things from God? The Bible teaches us that every good and perfect gift. It doesn't say every good and perfect payment or paycheck, right? It says every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above. And a gift is simply that. It's a gift. It's free. It's not something that you can buy. You can never buy any of the gifts of God with works, with money, or with any other means. The gift of God comes as a result of grace, his unmerited favor. I want us to look at Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 26. And I want us to read this exchange between Philip and this stranger that God sent him into the desert to have a conversation with and to minister to? So Acts 8, we're going to start verse 26, says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and, what? Go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. I want us to just pause here for just a minute. Philip is given instruction to go to Gaza, and the Bible says that this is a desert place. You know, I found that it's oftentimes in the desert places of our life that God does his greatest glory and works through us. I'm talking about those times and those places of uncertainty, not understanding why God has you where you are and and what he's doing. Philip is instructed to go to the desert, but he doesn't really know why. But isn't this usually how God operates? Like, at least I feel like that's the way it is in my life, because rarely does God just lay out the blueprints for me, but rather he just asks you and I to trust and to obey. For example, some of you are in that place right now. Like, you don't understand or know why God has you at your current job. Or you don't understand why something didn't work out a certain way. But I just want to say that it's not about the understanding. It's about the undergoing. It's about what God is doing in the depths of your heart. And I can tell you that in some of the most difficult seasons that you'll walk through, rarely will you know all that it is that God's wanting to do. But church, this is where faith comes in. This is where we say, God, even though I don't understand, I trust you. And church, you can trust him. Let me say it again. You can trust him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be faithful to complete the work that he's begun in your life. Now let's look at verses 27 and 28. It says, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, I want us to take just a minute here. I want to point out a few things about this Ethiopian man. This was a man of great authority and influence. He had charge over all the treasury. Like this, right here in modern times, would be considered the minister of finance. Now, Ethiopia, during this time, this was in the area of Sudan, which was just south of Egypt. And it was a large and powerful country, and it encompassed Central Africa. It was the outer limits of the known world to the Greeks and to the Romans. Now, just to give you a little bit of an insight into Ethiopia, into this time, the, the king of Ethiopia was believed to be uh, the child of the sun god uh, by all of his subjects, and they worshipped him as such. And so, the king really didn't do much. He just sat around and had people worshipping him all day long. But it was the queen who held all the power in the kingdom. She took care of all of the affairs, and that's why we see Candace mentioned here and not the king. And by the way, her name is is not Candace. Candace is a title, kind of like Pharaoh or Caesar. And this man works for her. He was a very important man in the kingdom and most likely was the second most powerful man in Ethiopia. But now before we go any further into the story, I, I want you to notice something here. This Ethiopian, had traveled some 1,200 miles to go worship in Jerusalem. Now, just to put in perspective how big of a road trip that would be, that's 1,200 miles. That, that's like from going to Jacksonville to Toronto, Canada, and not on paved roads and in a chariot. Now, I think that that's significant. You know why? Why? Because I think it goes to show the length that mankind will go to find what is missing in their lives. Like somehow this Ethiopian thought that what he was looking for was going to be found in Jerusalem. And we're not sure why. Like perhaps it was something that someone said to him. Hello? Perhaps it was because of something that he read. I mean we know that he had the scripture. Right? He was reading the book of Isaiah. Although he could have gotten that while he was in Jerusalem. But something caused him to take this very long trip searching for something. But there's something else that's interesting and notable about this Ethiopian man. The Bible says that he was a eunuch. I'll let you look up what that is later. <laughs> but the short of it is this. Uh, he would have been castrated. Now, as the queen's right-hand man um would you call him a man at that point? I just saw that look on a few of your faces. I'm sorry. I was thinking it, but uh, <laughs> uh, but it would, have, it would have made sense for him to be castrated in that culture, okay, with him traveling with the queen and everything. But watch this. This is what makes that significant to the story, so that's the reason I brought it up, is that he would not have been allowed to have came into the temple or to offer a sacrifice according to Jewish law, right? So, so, so catch this because this is so important. Here we have this Ethiopian eunuch who's traveled all the way up to Jerusalem, and now he's on his way back, and he didn't find what he was looking for. Church, I believe this Ethiopian is a symbolic person, like symbolic of someone who also has been searching for things. Like I'm talking about people we encounter every day, people who are lost, people who don't know God, but they're seeking like they don't even know what it is that they' they're seeking for but they're seeking but you and I know what they're seeking for when we see them seeking after titles and positions and, and seeking after uh, relationships and identity and acceptance and fortune and, and fame uh, th- th- those are just attempts to Fill the void that only God can fill. And many times, like the Ethiopian, they will even turn to the church and leave because they've not been accepted because they are different. Church, let me be clear about something. We are nothing without the grace of God. There's not one of us in this room that doesn't have issues. Those that come into our life, they may be different than us, but guess what? They're just a same kind of different as you. Like their sin may look different than yours, but guess what? We all need a Savior. Are you hearing me this morning? That's why we welcome everyone here at Destiny Church. Amen? It's the sick who need a physician. And friend, at some point in your life, I assure you, you were sick. And so was I. Hey, the church is a hospital, not a country club. Come on. Now look with me at verse 29 and 30. It says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go. Here we go again. Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, Do you understand what you're reading? Now I want us to just stop here for just a minute because I want you to notice a couple of things. Like notice this is the second time that the Spirit tells him, to go, and Philip goes. Not only does he go, but the Bible says that he ran. Now watch this, because when I think of this story, it convicts me, because I think of how many times I felt like I was making a sacrifice by going out of my way to share Jesus with someone. But Philip, he runs to this guy. Church, we need more Philips in the body of Christ today. Those who don't consider sharing Christ with others a burden or a duty, but who understand the privilege that we've been given in sharing salvation with the world. Yeah. David Livingston once said, If a commission by a king is considered an honor, then how can a commission from a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? <laughs> I heard a minister once say, If you're not concerned about others' people's salvation, then I'm concerned about yours. When I first heard that, I have to be honest, I was like, how dare he? Until I realized the abundance of the truth that he was spitting. C.S. Lewis once said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. Philip obeys the Holy Spirit's command. He runs up to the Ethiopian's chariot and he joins him. He sees that he's reading Isaiah, and then he asks him if he understands what he's reading. And then here in Acts 8.31, 8.31, the Ethiopian says, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and to sit with him. I'm going to tell you that I absolutely love this story right here of Philip and the Ethiopian because I believe that in many ways it serves as an example of how we can share Christ. But before we look into that example, I want you to consider the potential excuses that Philip could have given as to why he could or couldn't share Christ excuses like this guy right here is an important guy I mean like this guy he ain't going to listen to me or maybe the excuse might hit home a little bit more with us like well I don't know this person like I have to build a relationship with him first before sharing Christ Church, I'm all about building a relationship and um, using that relationship to share Christ. But can I just tell you that that is not a prerequisite for sharing the gospel. As a matter of fact, I, I, I thought about it. I have led more people to Christ that I didn't know than those that I did know. See, as believers, we can often use the what I'm going to call the relationship approach as an excuse to procrastinate. Let me say that one more time. Because I've seen it for years and years, and I say, hey, man, if you've got to share the gospel with this person, well, I'm still trying to build a relationship. I'm like, bless God, it's been seven years. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> we can often use this relationship approach as an excuse to procrastinate, but again, the good news is only good news if it gets to them in time. Philip runs up to this Ethiopian and he strikes up a conversation with him, which, as simple as it may sound, can I just say this right here is the first step in sharing Christ with someone? Like, just start a conversation with him. Now, Philip's conversation quickly jumped into a spiritual one because of the nature of this situation. But, look, you can find anything as a conversation piece to to get the talk started. I mean, like for example, if you see someone wearing a Titleist hat, then start talking about golf. If you see someone wearing a Jag shirt, start talking about football. Or here's one, and this is one that I, I use often. I just did it the other day. Uh, my daughter and I were were at Target, and, and an employee who worked there had, had a, a cross on. Cross in our culture uh, seems to mean a, a lot of things with a lot of different people, right? I mean, like you'll see people with cross necklaces on, or tattoos, or whatever. And you know what I always ask is I say, hey, what's the story with the cross? And when they don't know what to say, here's what I say to them. And this came to me one day when I was in buckle uh, with a a lady with a cross, um, just came right to me. I asked, I said, is it faith or is it for fashion? I remember the lady goes, oh, um, faith, well, I'm not sure. And I said, can I help you to be sure? And it opened a door for me to be able to share the gospel with them. See, I think that a lot of Christians, they don't realize that all we have to do is just get the conversation started. And the Spirit of God will come in and He will take lead. Like, I can't begin to tell you how many times God has given me just a simple icebreaker. A simple icebreaker or a comment to open the door to share Christ. See, I think a lot of Christians, they they get this mindset that witnessing means that, oh, if I'm going to go witness to someone, that means I need to run up to them and say, hey, do you know where you're going to spend eternity whenever you die? Which can be like throwing a bucket of cold water on them or flipping on the light when someone's asleep. But watch this, but even doing that is better than nothing. I mean, we we, we give a, a hard time to bullhorn guy, but some of us haven't shared Jesus like, Before COVID, I'm saying, but perhaps there's a better way. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. In other words, Paul's saying, I am willing to step outside of my comfort zone and do the work that is necessary to reach others. And church, what we're talking about this morning reaching people for Christ, the goal is worth the effort. The prize is worth the, 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 the cost, like no matter the cost. The cost might mean that you need to go and learn another language for the sole purpose of reaching the lost for Christ. Or it might mean you giving more. Yeah, that, I'm talking about money, right? So that other people can be sent. As I heard a minister once say, either go, Send or disobey. I have a friend of mine who was the youth pastor at the church that I was in in New Mexico. And I was a youth pastor for 15 years, for those of you that don't know. And uh, the church that I was at, Christ Church in Roswell, New Mexico, uh, for eight years, the guy before me, um, he had such a heart to rescue um, victims that were uh, caught into trafficking and, and slavery and So much so that he went back to school, became an attorney, and then he became the president of the leading organization Rescuing Trafficking Victims, the International Justice Mission, or the IGM, which we support monthly as a church. Church, every effort that we make toward reaching the lost is worth it. It's worth every ounce of energy, every minute that we offer, and every dollar that we give. I love what Craig Groeschel says about his church, Life Church, and I'm going to adopt this philosophy. It's so good. He said, "We'll do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ." Come on, how many of you know that? Right there is a good approach, right there. But watch this. Here's the thing. I, I'm not even asking you, church, to go in to write a big check or go re-enroll in college. Uh, Unless, of course, God's telling you to do those things, and if he is, then do them. I'm just asking you to start a conversation. That's what I'm asking of all of you, to just start a conversation trusting that God will open the door for you to share Christ with them. Now, in case you're here and you say, yeah, but I'm not that good of a communicator. Listen, God doesn't need well-spoken people. He just needs willing people. Trust me when I say that someone's response to accepting Christ, it's not based on your skill set anyway. Well, I mean, like, God will use your giftings, and we need to develop our giftings, right? But they're not, he's not limited by them. I remember 23 years ago. Gosh, has it been that long? And I was a uh, youth pastor in Kentucky, and we had invited, may have shared this story many years ago, so stay with me for those of you who have been with me for a while, but he was a missionary. He was actually a um, Is that giving too much information away? Yeah. He was a doctor. Let me say that. I won't say what type of doctor. He was a doctor who uh, had uh, done missions work all over the world. And I had asked him to come back to speak to my teenagers. And we had some good stuff going on in youth ministry. I mean, it was good stuff. and, And we were excited. And kids were getting saved every week. And I had promised my teenagers, if they ever brought their friends, To church that they would have an opportunity to give their lives to christ much like we do here we always give an opportunity for someone to make that commitment that i'm going to follow and serve christ right so i made that promise and that commitment to them so they always knew even if they felt uh, like they couldn't share the gospel just yet because they weren't quite there yet they could just bring their friends to youth group and they're going to get the gospel and they're going to get an opportunity right so that night i invited this missionary to come and he spoke for about two hours in a monotone voice. And I was sitting back. I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting in the back, and I think three or four times, I almost nodded off, right? I mean, I wanted to bang my head against the wall, and I'm thinking, man, what in the world is going on here? Like, now, for those of you who think, well, it's not that big a deal. Two hours with teenagers, y'all. Like, that's like 15 to 20 minutes max. (laughs) Like, some of y'all couldn't even handle the two hours, okay? (laughs) All right? But at the end of it, I'm like, man, I need to get this thing wrapped up. There's parents out there waiting. They're standing, looking through. I'm thinking, what in the world? But I remembered the promise that I had made, and I thought, dear God, how in the world am I supposed to get up there and do an altar call? Like, ain't nobody ever going to answer this altar call, but I made a promise. And so I got up there, and as best as I could, I segued out of that to this, and I said, well, if there's anyone here... You want to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, would you like to pray? And I'm just thinking, okay, let's get this thing over quick. Four kids raised their hand and gave their life to Jesus Christ. Two of them that I I still kind of semi-keep contact with, they're, they're still serving God today. Church, if there's any one thing that you can expect from God, it's for him to do the unexpected. Let me, let's just go back to Acts 8.32. The passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shears silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or someone else? Then Philip, now watch this, because here's like a three-point message right here if you ever want to teach something. Philip, opened in his mouth, there you go, and beginning with the scripture, right, he told him the good news about Jesus. By the way, as you read the rest of the story, you'll see that this man gave his life to Christ. But I want to highlight a very specific part of that last verse that I just read. It says, Philip opened his mouth. Church, what if Philip hadn't opened his mouth. What if he just thought to himself, well, I'm just going to let my light shine. Or I'm going to pray for that person. Now, I'm not de-emphasizing the role of living a godly life as a witness or for the need for prayer for the lost. Like, those are very important things that we need to be doing. Are you hearing me? But at some point, we have to open our mouth. At some point, we have to go from talking to God about the lost to talking to the lost about God. Romans 10, 14 says, but how can they call on him to save him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have never heard about them? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? I pray to God no one's got this bumper sticker. I'm in trouble if I did, Dan. I'm I'm in trouble. But you know what? I've got to be honest. I've heard the, you know, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's okay. I love you if you've got this on on your thing. But quickly remove it and we'll give you a Destiny Church sticker to replace it, okay? But like, words are necessary! (laughs) Y'all hear me this morning. I remember whenever I was a junior in high school, and I sat next to a guy every single day. And I thought, man, he sure is a nice guy. And I invited him to, you know, go out and get high with me and party with me and everything. Yep, mm-hmm, that's B.C., before Christ. Right? And he never would go. I didn't know why. I just thought, eh, maybe he's not into that sort of thing. I don't know. Whatever. You know? I talked to him about you know my dates and stuff and like he wasn't into those conversations I'm just like okay all right he's different you know but he's a super nice guy and after i gave my life to jesus christ i went to church and i turned around and there's my buddy jeremy yeah and and jeremy was like hey chris what's going on i was like what are you doing at church man i was like you go to church he goes yeah i've been going to church for years and the very first thought that entered my mind was bro, why did you not share Jesus with me? Do you know the moment that a friend shared Jesus with me? Because I never had one person, teenagers hear me on this, I never had one person in high school ever share Jesus Christ with me, ever. All it took was that first person a week after I got out of high school who shared Jesus with me and I actually gave my life to him. Guys, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are the few. We have got to take every opportunity and know that God is wanting to use us to reach people and not commit what I call uh, the sin of silence, because I think we're going to be held accountable. I mean, I just do. I, I really do. The world coming to know Christ waits not on the readiness of God, but on the obedience of Christians. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel To the whole creation. Guys, this is the great privilege and responsibility that we have as sons and daughters. I'm going to leave you with just a few last thoughts. It isn't just our compassion for humanity that drives us to share our faith with the lost, but it should also be our love for God. Are you with me? You see, God loves it whenever we love what he loves. And he loves people. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But how are they going to believe unless we share it with them? And the love that we show to the world by sharing the gospel, can I just tell you that that is love that is shown towards him? Don't forget the words of Jesus when he said, As you've done in the least of these, you have done it unto me. Church, can I just say that what we're talking about this morning, we never graduate past this. Not until every single person knows the love of God. Here's the way I see it we are in debt to every man to give him the gospel in the same measure in which we have received it. Until Jesus returns, may we do what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 5 and do the work of an evangelist. And may we not get caught up in all these lofty conversations about things that we don't even really know what we're talking about anyway when there's a world that's lost and going to hell. One minister once said the church is so focused on the second coming of Christ when the first uh, has never or they when the world's never even heard of the first. Church it's time for us to open our mouths and share the gospel. Today Is the day of salvation today? God wants His love known both to and for His creation. And watch this, and the way He wants to make it known is through you. This this message has been stirring in my heart for so long. Whenever I saw that it was what today was in Acts eight, I was like, "Thank you, Lord. Perfect timing because it's time." I commission you in Jesus' name. It's time. It's time. Please. Do not hear this message and say, "Amen, that was a good word." Like, if you just hear this message and you don't do something about it, can I? Love, I love you enough to tell you that, that means that you're in deception, because that's what the Bible says. It says, "Be don't just be a hearer of a word, but be a doer." Because if we don't do it, the Scripture says that we fall into deception because all of a sudden we think we have truth. And see, that's part of the problem here in in American Christianity because we have all this truth and all these cliches and all these scriptures, but like we're always like receiving, but we're never giving, like we're never sharing. There's a lot of ways we can share, of course, but the way that we're talking about this morning is by sharing the love of God. You don't have to preach three points in a poem. Are you with me? Just look at someone and say, God loves you. God has a purpose for your life. God has great things in store for you. Jesus came to this earth for you to be whole and to be complete. All of your days were written in his books in Psalm 139 before yet one of them comes to pass. God has a purpose for you. You're not here by accident. You're not trash. You're valuable to God. Speak truth. Speak and look and spend some time in preparation for it. Like, this isn't something that you're like, well, I'm not sure if I can do that. Like, okay, take 30 minutes and actually work on it. Like, like memorize a few lines. You know, you know what I'm saying? So that when, once you have that opportunity to minister to them, like, then go and, and minister to them. Here's the reality of our life, guys. Like, when we talk about the going, right, meaning that we're, you know, as you go, right? Like, when we go... We're proclaiming the kingdom of God. Like, we're already going, so as we go, proclaim the kingdom of God. See to it that our heavenly Father's house is full. Make it hard for the people that you know to go to hell. Listen, if we are followers of Jesus, and we say that God's word has final authority in our life, then consider this. Everything that we read in Scripture is either preparation for the gospel Presentation of the gospel, or participation in the gospel. So may our lives be about the gospel. Amen. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet with me, if you would. You know, I would be um, remiss if I. Did a message or shared a message like I did today but I didn't give the opportunity to anyone who either may be here in person or watching online to say yes to God's invitation who's never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ see friends when Jesus ascended into heaven he said that he was going to go and he was going to prepare a, a place for us that this place is called heaven but here's the thing good people don't get into heaven let me say it again good people don't get into heaven forgiven people do because you can't be good enough to get into heaven the Bible says that our righteousness that means our very best efforts or as filthy wags to God as a matter of fact Jesus says none is good like in God's eyes the way like we see people we say oh he's a good man oh that's a good person God sees things differently. Like if we were good enough, Jesus would not have needed to come and to pay our debt. No one is good enough to get into heaven. Only forgiven people. And forgiveness is what we all need because the Bible clearly says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's only one who can offer forgiveness. And his name is Jesus. So I just want to ask who's here this morning and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to know that right now you can be all in. Right now you can be all in. Right now you can say, that doesn't mean that you have to figure out and understand every aspect of God. I don't understand every aspect of God, neither will I. Because I'm not God. His ways are bigger than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. But you say, I feel the tug of the Spirit of God, and I want to put my faith in Him and learn and grow in Him. If that's you, and you say, yes, that's me. I just want to ask you right now, if that's you, and you say, yeah, I would, would you just kind of put your hand up, and I want to pray with you. Everyone bow your head, close your eyes for a moment. You say, yeah, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to take that step of faith to trust him. Who's here? Anyone? Here's what I'm going to ask right now. For those here in this room, but also for those that are watching online, I want to invite you in a prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer. Listen, all this is is, is in line with what the scripture says in Romans 10, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, That we will be saved and so all we're doing right now is just really praying a a prayer of surrender but really what's taking place in our heart is what matters when it says jesus you are the lord of my life i recognize that i need a savior i recognize that i was born a sinner and right now i look to you to be my savior i want to invite you to join in with me with that prayer saints of god those of you that have prayed this prayer before join in with me and pray this out loud pray lord Jesus. I confess my need for a savior and I ask you Jesus forgive me of my sin help me to turn from it and make you the Lord of my life Jesus I believe that you are the Son of God that you died on the cross for the sin of the world Jesus I believe that you rose from the grave Just as your word says, and now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known in Jesus.